0: Kind of crazy to think about as we study God's Word, as we study things that were written um, thousands of years ago, that um, truly God uses it even today to draw us out of um, maybe our way of thinking, to draw us out maybe of the things that we're doing, um, so that He could draw us into relationship. With him, and that truly is God's intention for His word—that we would know Him and that we would love Him, that we trust Him—and so we take this time pretty seriously here. My name is Caleb. I am a student pastor here, and I'm glad you came to hang out tonight. Um, so, welcome. If you have a phone, this is a great time to do like the movie theater thing. Put that sucker on vibrate or silent. Uh, just get it where it's not a distraction for you. <clears throat> Huge opportunity for that. Now, what you need to know about me is I'm kind of. Uh, not smart, kind of a dummy. So I'm going to pray for us so that maybe you'll learn something that's not from me. and said it's from the Lord. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all that you're doing uh, in this place. Lord, I thank you for the people you've brought here tonight. Lord, you know um, exactly where my friends here sit as far as their relationship with you, God. You know uh, their deepest struggles. God, you know their deepest celebrations. God, you know the things they are trusting that um, aren't you, and you know how, how well they are trusting you. God, that you, you know every part of us. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, with that in mind, that you, um, Lord, would impact our hearts and our lives tonight. That you would speak truth uh, through me and through your word. Um, God, that you would give us focus and understanding of all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so tonight, here's what I want to do. <coughs> I want to clarify for you, I hope, or, or I, I want to provide an opportunity really where the Lord can clarify in your mind and in your heart um, what is written on the doorpost of your life. And you may have heard that before, and if not, I'm, I'm going to kind of explain it to you that I don't know if you know this or not, but truly your life, you have a, a door frame or a doorpost over your life that says a whole lot about you. Let me give you an example, uh, or let me kind of show you what I mean. Uh, When I was in like middle school... I had to sell uh, chocolate, sell chocolate. I don't know, whatever. I had to get chocolates to people and they would give me money. Um, and we did it through band. Did anyone else do this? Like you do those dumb fundraisers and they give you that catalog and it's got all the stupid stuff that no one wants in it. And yet you've got to go sweet talk this old woman in your neighborhood into buying like a $30 can of popcorn. Yeah, so that was me. And I was in my neighborhood not the cutest kid, so my business was not too awesome. I also, little moment of vulnerability, had this extreme fear um, that I was going to be kidnapped by anyone and or everyone. Legit, I would look at people like, "Dude, they're gonna kidnap me. They're gonna kid-. It was to the point. I don't know why I thought I was so kidnappable. I feel like somebody would kidnap me. They'd probably just give me back. Like, look, he's too much trouble. And obviously you're poor. You're not going to be able to pay me, right? Uh, <clears throat> but I even had this recurring dream that when I was a kid, and some of you have heard this before, where, where I was be grabbing my mom's leg and some random kidnapper would be grabbing my leg, pulling me. Like, go and I'd be like, no, no, like holding on to my mom, and then this is a kicker. My mom would be like, No, no, it's okay, honey. You can go. And I've been freaking out, like, why mom? Right. I'd wake up in, like the craziest sweats, and i am like, I'm nineteen, it's fine. I'm not getting kidnapped I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this gets crazy. Um no, but I, legit, I had this dream over and over again. So I always thought I was going to kidnap. So when I was going to sell these things, to the point this like 112-year-old woman invited me in her house, and I always say no, but she was 112, and I went in, I thought her son was going to come out and kidnap me. It kept me up in the middle of the night till I had to confess it to my parents. Mom, I almost died today. You know that old woman? She kidnapped me. Like, it was crazy. So anyway, i, I when I would sell these chocolates, I would go to a house, and, and depending here it is depending on on the door frame and the door and the floor mat of this person's house the welcome mat depended on if i knocked on the door and tried to sell them this junk i had in this catalog or i just ran away and maybe cried right like it all depended on that first look and i caught myself one time i Against my better judgment, I walk up to this floor, and I'm looking, I'm like, it, I take in the smell of the porch. I take in everything. I look, if I can see through the house, what's in there. Before I would knock, I was so scared. And so I walk up and I was like, I shouldn't do this, but I need the business, Caleb. You need the business, right? And I knock on the door. And, and like the floor mat, even as I knock, I realize I look down, I read the floor mat and it does not say welcome. In fact, it says the opposite in a series of inappropriate words. It says, go away. And I was like, uh-oh, I just knocked, right? Like, this is not good. Also, my sister, who was also my protector, was not there, right? She's two years younger than me and I'm tiny. And I was like... I was by myself. I was like, no one's gonna know. And I knock on the door, and it's like, nah. and then this woman with the voice of my father was like, "Hello!" Like answered, and I was like, "Oh, ma'am, sir, I don't know, right?" And she's like, "What do you want, right?" And I was like, "I got these uh, chocolates. I don't, he want to buy them, you know? I'm literally, I'm freaking out at this moment to the point I still remember it today. And and so she's about to purchase it. Man, y'all are gonna think terrible things of me. She's about to purchase it, and she was like. Last time some kid, excuse me, last time some kid came and sold me stuff, he never came back. Like he took my money and he never brought my product back. And I was like, okay, ma'am. She's like, are you going to bring it back? And I was like, yes, ma'am, I will. And in my head, I'm like, I'm never coming back to this place. And, but I'm like, but if I tell you that you're, you're going to maybe just kidnap me now. So she fills out the form. She pays me the money uh, for a woman and she Shuts the door. You know the end of the story. I never went back to that place. (laughs) I took her money and I even thought. (laughs) I even thought today as I'm thinking about this. I was like, man, she must be so angry. Like she is like, they got me twice. Right? And so (laughs) why would you buy $20 popcorn? Dumb. All right. So. (laughs) But the same the same goes. <laughs> I'm sorry, lady, wherever you're at. The same goes for our relationship with God, though. That we have this doorframe in our life. Hear me here. We have this doorframe in our life, and on the doorframe, how it looks, and, and and when we walk up to it, it, says a lot about who we are. It's our identity. It's what is important to us. It's what we value, that it's the way people see us, that some of us have painted ours up real nice to make it look good, so that when people see us, they think, man, everything's put together at this home, and, and, and we make it everything uh, look the way we want people to see us, that our doorframe has, has a, a whole lot to our life. But here's what I need you to understand. Here's what I need you to understand. This is so important for tonight. That in your relationship with the Lord, when you give your life to Christ, when, when, I don't know if you know this or not, but God in his mercy sent his son to die for us because we're sinful and the penalty for sin is death. And he said, hey, here's Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice because I love you. That when you say, man, I'm trusting Jesus for my life. What God wants is he doesn't want to be a part of your doorframe. He doesn't want to put some paint on it. He wants to rebrand your door frame, that your doorpost now, when someone walks up, they see a brand new brand on it. Like that's the role that God wants in your life. I want you to hear that. And I want you to know that, that he wants to rebrand the doorpost of your life. He wants to re-identify you so that when people see you and they walk, they see something different that they don't see in the rest of the world when they visit everyone else. That's God's role in your life. That's what he wants for you. That's what is actually, according to the Bible, is best for you. And I believe it true. I've experienced it in my own life. Now, this is what you need to understand, guys, right here, is that this isn't a random analogy. But in fact, this comes from Scripture, that this is exactly what God is doing. And in a literal sense, it's where we're going to pick up tonight. It's one of the most tragic events, uh, I think, in, in probably all of the Bible. That if this was a movie, you can guarantee that it'd be rated R and you're like in here and you shouldn't be. And you're like, I'm not old enough for that. And, and this would be a absolute rated R movie just because of the violence in it. And, and, and the gruesomeness of it. Here, here it is. This is Exodus 11 four through seven, it says, Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says at midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. Say heart for me. Wow. All three of you. Thank you. Got it. Okay. All the firstborn sons will die. That's important. I want you to remember heart. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, you know, that God didn't say it will pass through the center of Egypt. It didn't say it will pass through over Egypt doesn't say it'll pass around Egypt. It doesn't say it'll pass in the midst of Egypt, but he says, I'm going to pass through the heart of Egypt that a lot of you have a lot of things that are in your heart. No one else knows about, but you need to understand that God sees it and his whole goal is to impact not your, your habits, not um, the way you speak. His impact on you is for your heart because we believe that it is from your heart in your mind, all the other stuff still. So he knew Egypt's heart. It says, all the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour, Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud well will rise well, I'm probably saying that one wrong too, will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a well that like no one has ever heard before we'll ever or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. I don't know about you, I got like that dog that I used to, thankfully I don't anymore. It died, praise. I had this dog that like you would half sneeze, and then he'd it, be like, hey, and he'd be like, hey, and you're like shut up, stop, come on, right? And would be like, middle of the night, like this dog always barks at everything. He says, it's so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. That on Egypt, it'll be like something never heard before. A cry of grief so loud. But in Israel, it'll be so peaceful, not a dog will bark. Then you'll know the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians And the Israelites, all the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave. They will beg hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. So Moses comes, he delivers his message. And then burning with anger, it's the same thing you see at the end of chapter 10, where, where Moses delivers and Pharaoh's like, get out of my sight. And Moses, this is a speech Moses gives Pharaoh. And then burning with anger, he leaves. What you need to understand, this is huge. God says, I'm coming in to Egypt and I will kill the firstborn of every Egyptian. This is huge. What you need to understand about our God, that this is the 10th, 10 times God has asked the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. This is the 10th time God has said, the Israelites are special to me. They're my firstborn. They are my people. Let them go. And it's the 10th time that Pharaoh has said no. Or really the ninth time, well, maybe the 10th time that Pharaoh has said no. And so what you see here is that our God is gracious. He asked 10 times. He is merciful. God is all-knowing. He could have wiped them out at the very beginning. This could have been warning number one. When instead, it's warning number 10. Some people want to take this out of context. Like, how could God do? It's 10 times. He's gracious and he's long-suffering. And he suffered for a long time as they mistreated his people. What you need to understand about our God is he is not weak. We do not serve a God that is weak. What is here and what is happening is sin and disobedience. And sin and disobedience, I need your eyes right here, will always bring death. Will always bring death. The picture of sin is people die. Picture of sin is people died, people dying in your life that you may have experienced is the picture of sin. Now, what I mean is that I'm not calling them sinful. I'm not saying they were rooted in sin. So they went and that happened to them that God said, no, I told you. So I'm going to kill you. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is that all the suffering and all the struggle and all the death that we ever experience is the product of a general sin over our world. It's a product of this general sin over our world. And what you need to understand is that God had given them warning and God had had. Ten times said, please release my people. And so then what happened was God was moved to action, not because of the people, but because his love for the people that he loved them so much. And here's what Pharaoh did. in in verse 11, I mean, in, in verse 10, chapter 11, it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart again. What I told you last week is that if you hear the voice of the Lord, if you hear God calling you to do something, you feel the urge that that it's like, man, that's not normal. I don't usually feel this calling to know the Lord or to follow the Lord. What you understand is when you hear that and you don't listen and don't obey, you're actively hardening your heart like Pharaoh. And what happens then is things sinful things happen because we are absent from the Lord. And so we want to turn to God in anger Go with me here. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've experienced some kind of emotional pain or some kind of deep physical pain and you want to turn to the Lord in anger and you want to say, stupid wire, and you want to say, God, why did you let this happen? You want to turn to the Lord in anger and demand an explanation as if God God wasn't there that the pain wouldn't have happened. As if it was God's fault that the pain happened. But as you read God's word, I need you to understand this so clearly. As you read God's word, what you begin to see is that it's not the absence of God that prevents pain, but it's the presence of God that prevents pain. Absence of God always incites pain. Absence of God brings sin and brings death. That the biblical worldview... Is upside down. It says that God is not the problem. That God is not the problem with the world. God is not the reason sin happened. Here is a catch. If God is not the reason, I was right here. If God is not the reason sin happened, that only leaves one other person. Us. That if God is not the problem with sin, and that means we are. That we are the ones who mess things up. That we are the ones who stepped away from God. That we are the ones who incited sin, who invited sin. What that means then is that in as far as the universe is concerned, we are the ones that cause the pain. We are the garbage. The thing that's wrong with the world, what's wrong with this world, it's us that we're the garbage of the world. Like, yeah, yeah, let's pray and go home now. Congratulations. We're the garbage of the world, but I heard a pastor say it this way. He said, not, he said, we're, not only are we the garbage of the world, but we are also the crowning glory of God's creation all at the same time. That God looks at us and he says, man, I'm perfect. And I made you to be perfect. You are messed up. And he says, but I love you deeply. He says, not only are you the reason for the problem, but you're also the reason I provided a solution. That we are not only the reason Jesus had to die, but we are the reason Jesus chose to die. That we're the reason he had to die and we're the reason he chose to die. That he said, you messed up, so I will sacrifice. But the reason I will sacrifice is because I love you. I'm not sacrificing so that I love you. I'm sacrificing because I love you. He says, man, you are sinful, and yet I still love you deeply. That's the gospel. God doesn't love us because Jesus died. God loves us so Jesus died. He loves us before Christ died for us. The reason Christ died is because he loves us. Our God is a just God. The absence of God is always death. So that's what we see is that these people who have abandoned God have subjected themselves to God's judgment. This is verse 21. It says, And Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal taking a cluster of the hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of this house until morning when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. So I'm going to kind of read the scripture fast because we got to kind of flow. But what you need to understand is that basically what he said is you're going to go kill a lamb. 10 days, you're going to find a spotless lamb. See it for 10 days. Make sure it's great. Pick it out. Great. Four days later, you're going to slice its throat. You're going to bleed it out into a bucket. A bucket that is going to hold its blood. And then you're going to take some hyssop, which I'll show you what that is in a little bit. You're going to take some hyssop if we have time. And you're going to dip the hyssop In the blood, and you're going to wipe it over the doorpost of your house. And that way, when the striker comes through, when the angel of death comes through, that you will be safe, and anyone who does not have the blood will be subject to death. Here's the question I have for you If God is all knowing, why is the blood needed to be wiped on the doorpost? Did God not know where the Israelites were? Did God not know who should be saved and who were his people and who wasn't? See, it's what we do with Jesus sometimes that a lot of us are in here and we know about Jesus and we know what Jesus has done. But here's the truth and here's how we see it right now is that until the blood of Jesus is wiped over the doorpost of our life, rebranding our life, his sacrifice will not be sufficient for us. That his sacrifice will not, maybe sufficient as a reward, his sacrifice will not be applied to our life. Until we choose to allow him to rebrand our life, until we place our trust in him and allow his cleansing and his work in our life to happen, it's irrelevant that we deny it. See, those people, it was like, I don't care if you kill a lamb. I don't care if you slaughter 15 lambs. Until you take that blood and you put it over the doorpost of your house, will you be safe? God knows who's an Israelite and who's not. But it was this act of rebranding their house. It was this symbol to the rest of the world that something new is happening to you, that you are trusting someone else other than yourself. You got to know when they did that, that Egyptians saw that and said, man, what are you doing? That's nonsense. It's Kind of amazing. See, the blood on the doorpost of our life needs to be in a way that we can speak as Paul spoke in Galatians 2.20, where he says, the son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. When you can say that in your heart and truly believe it and know it, that man, the son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. Then you can be assured that his blood has cleansed you, that that his mark is on your life. That when God sees you, he doesn't see the sinful you, but he sees the perfect you because of what Jesus has done. What you need to understand is that these Egyptians use this hyssop plant, and this is kind of what it looks like. Like, I thought it was a branch or a tree or something, but really, it's like this kind of big flowery bush, and then you can go to that next slide, and it's just this branch, and so it's kind of like a weed that you would dip in the blood, and then you would just kind of wipe it on. It's nothing special. It's kind of flimsy. Yet I think a lot of us have bought into this thought that, okay, I got to put my faith in Jesus, but but then I've got to be good enough. But then I've got, to, I've got to act just right to be saved. Some of you question your salvation. That anytime anyone offers an opportunity to pray to be saved, you better believe you're praying it again. You're saying, man, let me get some more of that blood and let me wipe it over here because I think maybe somebody washed off. It rained the other day. Like it's getting thin. I want God to be able to see it. Like, let me wash it off. Let me get a bigger, a bigger hyssop bush and let me just really wipe it on." But Some of you have placed your faith in the hyssop branch. But you need a bigger one and a better one. You need to look better and sound better and be better to make sure that blood is really on there. Yeah, man, let me be, I just want to be certain. Let me do it right. Let me make sure I do it right. What you need to understand is God is not concerned about the quality of your faith, it's the object of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith. It matters, not the quality of your faith. Now, what I, what I want you to hear is I'm not saying that you can go on not trusting Jesus. What I'm saying is that when you've placed your trust in Jesus, if you have doubts, sometimes it doesn't mean you're not saved. If you screw up, sometimes it does not mean you're not saved. That is not this whole process of getting back to the blood and wiping it back on your door. From when the Lord brands your life, you are branded for life. When he says, man, I, I'm calling you mine, he was always calling us his. I don't know if you've ever heard that statement where you, like, maybe make fun of somebody who doesn't deserve it, or you do something and some one of your friends says, oh, man, you're going to hell for that. Or you may say, man, I'm going to go to hell for this. Like, if that's you and you truly, like, believe those kind of statements, or you may even say them, meaning you might kind of believe them, then you're one of these people. And you're someone not, and it's not a bad thing, you just need clarification. You're putting your faith in the hyssop branch. As if there's something you could do that could make Jesus say, I'm wiping that blood off. He says, no, there's nothing like that. If you've trusted me and you've placed your faith in me, I know I'm saving you. So interesting. It goes on, it says, and the Israelites went, And they did this. They rubbed the blood. They did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne of the firstborn, of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up He along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt, and there wasn't a house without someone dead. There wasn't a house without someone. Someone dead. What? There wasn't a house without someone dead. This, this pastor illustrated this kind of point real well about, about placing your faith in your faith and about the quality of your faith over the object of your faith. And he gave this story. He said, he said, can you imagine two Israelite men standing there right before the Lord's going to pass over that night? And one man saying to the other man, man, I feel really nervous about tonight. I don't know. I'm kind of scared about it. And the other man says, no, no, did you put the blood over the door? And he's like, yes, I put the blood over the door. And he's like, "Then what are you nervous about? You're good. I, 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 we're ready to go. And he says, no, man, I only have one son. You have like six sons. So if I lose mine, I lose everything. Which you know, firstborn sons, then we're like sacred. And, and, and the other guy's like, no, man, if you put the blood over the door, you're good. You're good. It's the object of your faith. You're good. And, and I'm pumped about it. And so then the angel of death comes that night. So you got these two Israelite men. They both put the blood over their door. One was doubting and one was not. and One was pumped about it. Angel of death comes over Egypt that night. Which one of those men lost a son? The answer is neither. Neither of them lost a son. Because it wasn't the quality of their faith. It was the object of their faith that saves them. What you saw in Egypt, is the object of their faith, was something other than God. For some of you, that's, that's dinging off in your heart right now. Things you're trusting is something other than God. You come because that cute boy, that pretty girl, like that pizza, like whatever. <laughs> Some of you are married to pizza. I get it. Like that is what brought you and the doorframe of your life has, has an identity you're trying to maintain. And Jesus says, give that to me. Let me give you a new identity when you place your faith in me. It goes on. It's kind of wrapping up, trying to wrap up. I'm going to read fast. You can go back and read it on your own later. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night. This is Pharaoh and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites. Obviously there's dead people everywhere, like leave and go worship the Lord. As you have said, take even your flocks and your herds. If you have asked and leave and also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country. They said, we're all going to die. And so the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls and wrapped them up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. What you need to know is the Israelites weren't laying in bed when this happened. They weren't sleeping and like, oh, what is that noise over there? No, the Israelites were dressed sitting at their table waiting. They were ready to go. No one was asleep in Israel. They were waiting. All right, let's just wait for them to scream and then we leave them. Moses had already told them, hey, Take joy, we're getting out tonight. And so they were ready to go. And then they went through Egypt and the people were like, look, take whatever you want, just leave, get out of here. And so by way, I love what it says at the end of this. The Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. And in this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The people that owned them just got owned by them. The Israelites traveled from Ramsey to Succoth, Doesn't sound like a great place. About 600,000 able-bodied men on foot beside their families. What town do you live in? Succoth, right? Is that New King James Version? Yes, I sucketh. Uh, Okay. I love it. I love it. That they were ready to go. That they were ready to go. It ends this way. Exodus 12, 42. It says, it was a night of vigil and honor of the Lord. Because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. The same night is an honor for the Lord. A night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. I love that. They go on. And if you actually read the whole chapter, what you'd see is that the Lord told them. And I want you to repeat this. This is a new year for you. This is a new time for you. We're starting over your religious calendar today. This is it. 430 years in slavery to the day he released them. He says, this is it for you. You're going to celebrate this every year for the rest of this world. And still today, they celebrate the Passover. They celebrate that God passed over them. Why do they continue to celebrate it? I think you only continue to celebrate it when God had something bigger planned. And what we know now is what he had bigger planned was Jesus. That Jesus came into this world. I love what John says. In John 1, 29, it says the next day, Jesus is, is around and John's around and Jesus and John meet up and John sees Jesus. And this is what he cries out. He says he sees him coming towards him. And he said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's our lamb. There's our lamb. There's the one that rebrands my door. There's the, the one that gives me a new identity. There's the one that protects me from things like a door should and gives me access to things like a door should. He protects me from death and gives me access to eternal life. That that is what Jesus does. I love Revelations. Let's go on real quick. This is the last thing I'm going to read for you. And we're going to close out. It says, when we took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is a whole like, lot of stuff you've got to really study to understand. it says, and then they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And this is where it gets really cool. It says, because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. He says, man, our lamb, the one that protects us is Jesus. The one that we have access to to rub the blood on the doorframe of our life is Jesus. And the question I have for you is what is on the doorpost of your life? What is on the doorpost of your life? What is the thing that defines you? Like if it's anything in Jesus, you're shortchanging yourself. You're missing out. On huge blessing.